AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hey Matt, I see you have a very interesting story about artificial intelligence with respect to identifying the objects, how we actually those images can be fooled to, you know, basically mislead the system. Mm -hmm. Could you elaborate a little bit on it? Yeah. yeah, so I thought this was really interesting. There's a group out of Google that did some research on uh, attacking AI-based systems for like image classification. So they developed these psychedelic little swirl patterns inserted into images and found that you know, if you're trying to do facial recognition or at least facial detection, more often than not, the algorithm would get stuck trying to parse out a face from one of these psychedelic patches they've, they've put into it than it did actually finding the image of the face that was very much nearby. Kind of cool, they designed these little stickers or things that you can you know, insert into an image and they watched to see what the AI would do. And mm -hmm. the AI would be drawn to that and sort of say, everything else is less interesting than this section here. Mm -hmm. And so if you were trying to distract the AI from finding a human being's face or like a license plate or anything else that we currently use uh, image recognition for, okay. you can make it ignore it, which I think is really kind of cool. If a, a human being were also looking at the same scene, obviously it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. And I think it'd be kind of interesting because the attacks that I've seen against these sort of image recognition systems, they will work very well against an AI, but okay. they will also call out to the like, human viewer to say, holy, what the heck is that? And a lot of that is broken down to how our brains actually just filter everyday things and how our memories and all that build this repository of we understand that if it's blue behind us, it's, it's a sky, so on and so forth. But these little stickers, it, it drew my eye. When, when I was looking at the article, I couldn't stop looking at the stickers. But it's interesting how the AI just loses itself in something that's so small and just tricks its recognition. I mean, Matt, based on this story, I mean, uh, the artificial intelligence is uh, not at the peak efficiency, right? There's still a lot of improvement needs to be done. It's that you found a limitation in the system. I guess the, uh, the people who work in these sorts of ideas will just have to adapt and, and maybe in a few years we'll have image recognition AIs that, that aren't affected by this. But it's going to be a back and forth probably. Yeah, I agree with that. Thank you. Hey, Ganesh, you got something interesting about a Python botnet. Do you want to dive into that for us? Yeah, sure, Tony. Actually, the name of this botnet is actually PyCryptoMiner. It's a combination of uh, three characteristics. Py for Python, basically, you know, as we know. Crypto is for uh, cryptocurrency involved in this case, is a Monero miner, actually. And the miner is for mining for this uh, specific digital currency. It's a Linux-based crypto miner uses to specifically mine Monero-based cryptocurrency. It's trying to target basically Linux systems, which is the theme nowadays, you know, IoT, Linux. But in this case, they're specifically targeting the protocol SSH, I believe 22 TCP, to get, uh, you know, basically some credentials. They're trying to install a Python script, basically. Uh, once this Python script has been installed, it tries to contact to a command and control server. Mm -hmm. The first thing they try to do is collect some information about the systems, like what the host name, what type of OS it has, and the number of CPUs, and the usage of the CPU. 
basically they're trying to and actually baseline the uses of the CPU, what kind of resources they use. In most of the botnets, they have one command control server, right? In this case, the pace when they are using it as a backup, and maybe in such cases, you know, disaster recovery. For example, somebody takes down the central server itself. They're using this basically pacement to update and you know contact with the, all the infected nodes mm -hmm. to how to survive, you know, take additional commands in case you know it's been taken up. This appears to be a specialized version of something that we see very commonly, which is this this Monero mining malware. Uh, it's interesting because it uses Python. The way that it gets on a box is using um, SSH brute forcing, which we see quite a lot. So in that respect, it's not unique. But it's, it's always neat to see what the new wrinkles are in the same sort of attack, because we see tons and tons of different types of mining malware. As of last week, I think uh, there's another uh, iteration of the same botnet. I think they're trying to leverage different threats. Uh, nowadays, I think they're leveraging JBoss, a new threat. I think uh, it came back two weeks ago. As a different exploit? Mechanism. As a different exploit. I think in addition to the SSS ports, they're using the JBoss installations. Okay. The one thing that really caught my attention when Ganesh was talking about it is it does that check-in that maybe when they've decided to expand more on this, um, as you said, you know, bring in those those different tools, if the botnet itself will start trying to expand eventually. Uh, that part of the article, I don't know if it was somewhat wormable or not. I didn't pick that up in it. The analysis is still ongoing. I mean, uh, especially with respect to the JBoss vector, they're still trying to analyze. I think uh, there's so many missing pieces at this time. So Tony, it sounds like there's a new ransomware out there. It's called HeroPoint. Care to educate us on it? As you said, the, the ransomware is called HeroPoint. They did uh, a quick analysis of this particular piece of ransomware. And that's what this article kind of covers. First off, one of the things that it, it states in this article is that this is in a, in a development stage or state. Uh, the reason why is it doesn't actually do any sort of encryption yet. Basically, it has an XOR function that will do the, the cryptography piece, the encryption, but there's another piece of code in there that has a similar name and that cancels out the XOR function and therefore it doesn't actually do any of the encryption yet. So when the analysis was performed and they broke it apart, that's what they saw and they saw that it didn't trigger. Why someone would release malware in this state? I, I'm not really sure. It's confusing to me because the longer that malware is out in the open, the more time people have to analyze it. Obviously, the people who wrote this article did a very good job of analyzing it. The cat and mouse game has begun, and the, the guy who's running the malware is at a significant disadvantage because he's released it and definitely not profited from its release, at least from a, a ransomware standpoint. But what else that they saw is how it, it does its encryption, how it renames everything and kind of scrambles it, where it leaves a, um, it appends a, a random numeric set of numbers to the file, but it also hunts about 10 particular file types that it's going to look for and encrypt, those being uh, variations of Microsoft Office files. We've got uh, music files and videos, also executables and text files. One of the other little interesting pieces about it is the splash screen, the lock screen, when it, uh, it throws up and tells you that it's encrypted, also has the, uh, the writer or someone's email address on it as well. As Tony said, uh, it doesn't make you know much sense to you know put something out there 
without you know finished product basically. Right, because as soon as you've done that, yeah. you've got researchers who are immediately looking for indicators to, to keep you off their network and to maybe you know find out who you actually are. So yeah, yeah. the longer time you have it out there before you're actually profiting off of your interactions, uh, it's it's wasted time if True. you're a malware author. The key points would be for like any other ransomware we talked about to have you know verified good backups, keeping up to date with the OS patches as well as the applications and applications you're running. Try to have another layer of you know anti-malware detection, maybe whitelisting kind of features. So these will definitely help to minimize the risk posed by the ransomware. All right, Ganesh, we'll take a look at this week's internet weather. Taking a look at port 23 TCP, this is a 30-day view, and you can see back around the 18th or 19th of December, we had a sudden spike up, and things have just been trending slowly upwards since then. Um, it's almost doubled. Yeah, it's, you're right, it has yeah. almost doubled. I should have gone back, I think, mm -hmm. I think I went back when I looked this morning, and this still isn't the highest it's ever been, okay. not even in the last 365 days, but a significant jump for at least the, the last 30-day window. Okay. So somebody's paying attention uh, on port 23. Uh, so interesting to follow. And it looks like the, the, the characteristic of it is certainly, you see a lot more you know, definite spikes, pointy spikes. And then over here, it's more of a, a daily cycle, no, I think. So this is a bug that we were following a couple of weeks back, this 37215 TCP. It's, okay. a, it's a Huawei device, the HD532. Uh, Ars Technica actually reported about this this router zero day. We had some significant spikes when I last reported on it at the start of December, and I just wanted to check back in on it. And it looks like around the 21st, it started trending slowly downwards. But as of the last 24 to 48 hours, we've seen a significant uptick to maybe a little under half of the, the heights that we saw when wow. we last looked. So someone's back on this one. Maybe someone's returning from their extended holiday break. I don't know, maybe a college student. Right. But that's speculation. Maybe, nevertheless, actually, this is one of the ports I think we should pay attention. Yep. Coming weeks, you know, at least, you know, the trend seems to be picking up again. Mm -hmm. So this is a really yeah. interesting one. This port 3333 TCP just came out yesterday. Like yesterday. Yeah. The big one for this week is port 3333. There's a lot of speculation as to why 3333 has had a sudden spike in the last 24 hours. There are some older vulnerabilities. There's a relatively new one. There's also the fact that 3333 is used commonly for mining pools for cryptocurrency. But it seems like there's several competing hypotheses, and hopefully in the next few days we'll figure out which one is the right one. There was a SANS ISC, actually Jim, our friend Jim, who's been on the show quite a few times, posted about this. And so there's a lot of theories as to what this might actually represent, but it's a significant uptick in scanning on port 3333 TCP. Mm -hmm. And you know maybe in the next few days we'll, we'll find a, yeah. a root source, but it could have something to do with Monero mining or other mining pools, because 3333 apparently is used very frequently in setting up those pools. There's a vulnerability I think you shared with yeah, me. Yeah, well, it's a little old, but mm -hmm. it's related to Netgear. But looking at the trend here, you know, if you, you're sh showing about, you know, Satori botnet and others, it's basically, we can say, classify into something related to IoT mm -hmm. exploit. Well, I, that's this this vulnerability in the Claymore miner as well is kind of interesting as well. I I'm you know I think old bugs are new again this year. It yeah. seems like there's a lot of stuff that's been around that's just been sort of quietly, like it, someone released it a while back. It never made a big splash, but now that people really want to be yeah. exploiting these IoT devices, they're digging through the the archives to find something that's relatively easy to to break I mean, into. You know, the, the case is uh, with respect to the WannaCry. It's a wall, but if you take it for four four five, you know there are certain things it should not be open. Mm -hmm. But it's open. Yes. I think uh, 
they're applying the same logic here to the unknown ports or, you know, protocols here, and then trying to leverage probably, you know, get more mileage out of it. There's been a campaign to attack WebLogic servers recently, yeah. and we saw some of that ourselves. Uh, another one of these campaigns to install Monero mining software okay, okay. on servers. So I decided, you know, this this is a relatively new exploit, at least in the public. Can we see any evidence of, of an uptick in interest in it? Mm -hmm. And so I've got a 60-day view here, the top graph, and I'm, I apologize for it being small, uh, but this is the scan sources for 7001, 2, and 3, which are the ports that oh, WebLogic by web default. Logic. So like okay. it'll do once 7001, if that's used, it'll default to 7002, and then it'll okay. go on to 7003. So those are the top three ones that you'd expect to see WebLogic on. And you can see that there was you know, a, a couple of spikes in interest as of <laughs> just the other day, yeah. just yesterday, 7001 is definitely on the charts. So someone is keeping an eye on the news because there was a few articles about that one. And Somebody else is looking. And the trend. Yep. Okay. As a, in terms of, um, the number of scanned flows, it turns out that there has been a significant amount in the, the range of uh, millions of scanned flows per hour. Mm -hmm. uh, for some of these as well, it just seems like the number of sources that are actually doing it until recently yeah. was fairly low. There has been activity looking for it, but just not from that many sources until just now. Okay. One of the ones that we covered earlier in the, I think back in, in uh, December, mm -hmm. was this 52869, which was a Realtek soap bug. Yeah. And we saw this huge spike back at the start, and it hasn't quite uh, come back to those heights as well. But again, in the last couple of days, it's been coming back up again. Wow. And it, it almost looks like a smaller version of the peak that we saw for that other bug, you know, a couple slides back. It almost looks like this guy. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So, you know, who, who knows? I haven't actually correlated the two of them or, or graphed them together, but you know, maybe this is the same actors spinning up the same old botnet to scan mm -hmm. for these two bugs. The little takeaway here could be, you know, there's some, you know, old exploit they're trying to resurface. But it's too early to say, you know, tie together uh, what we have seen as of now. Tony's a good guy. He's always excited about his work. You can tell by when he talks and the way that he, when he explains things, he really gets into it. He's right on, on the level. He's, he's on our wavelength. We'll go with that. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.